And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Manufacturing Matters. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host for this show on Manufacturing Talk Radio, one of many talk radio programs. We are the show that looks at manufacturing through both a telescope and a microscope. Yes, we look at the big headlines, as we will today. They matter a great deal to manufacturing performance. But in this day of evolutionary and even revolutionary change, we have to go deeper. And the key word here is new. New markets, new science, new technology, new geopolitics, new economic thinking. And we are here to help our listening audience understand how this will lead to a new day in U.S. manufacturing. We bring the best guests, the best thinkers in their area, and we certainly have that today. Folks, I'm always looking to look ahead, to think ahead, to go move our audience ahead. But unfortunately, in late December, a strange pneumonia started showing up in Wuhan, China, a densely populated area that, among other things, is a, um, an auto manufacturing center in China, and that's of great importance to U.S. manufacturing. It grew and grew, and now we are dealing with a global crisis that even our best scientists are struggling to keep up with and to understand. The coronavirus crisis is undoubtedly going to be part of history. It is something where um, virologists and epidemiologists and physicians and economists have to work together to understand. My Um, goal on this program is to get our listeners to understand how supply chain disruptions have come about, where they are, what we should look for in crucial manufacturing supply chains. And today we're going to think about electronics and semiconductors, obviously two very China-centric supply chains. And for that, we are lucky to have two distinguished economists Sean Dubrovic is the chief economist at IPC. He's an acclaimed global futurist and trendcaster. I've worked with Sean before. He's been on programs that I've been with. He always has uniquely good insights on technology, on the, uh, what technology is going to do to the economy. He is the author of a New York Times bestseller, Digital Destiny, How the New Age of Data Will Transform the Way We Work, Live, and Communicate. Um, he's empowered leaders and their organizations to improve the strategic decision-making capabilities by identifying and understanding the changing landscape and opportunities that lie ahead. He served for over a dozen years as chief economist for the Consumer Technology Association, and I'm recording this in Crystal City, so CTA is right across the street from me. The U.S. Trade is the U.S. Trade Association that represents more than 2,000 consumer tech companies. Um, he is frequently quoted in the media, and I could not ask for a better person to really help us through a difficult time um, in the electronics uh, sector. Falal Yilig is Director of Industry Statistics and Economic Policy at the very powerful Semiconductor Industry Association. He's responsible for managing SIA statistics and data program. 
He represents SIA in the World Semiconductor Trade Statistics Program, which maintains industry-driven monthly sales data for the global industry as well as sales forecasts. He's going to be very valuable and really looking at how this horrendous virus is, is impacting you know, the, the, that critical industry. His work also entails supporting SIA's advocacy efforts through economic research and analysis. In pursuit of this goal, he works closely with SIA staff and member companies, federal statistical agencies, domestic and international companies and business associations, international organizations, foreign government officials, academia, and the think tank community. He has prior experience with the high-tech industry, having worked for the U.S. International Trade Commission as its semiconductor and semiconductor manufacturing equipment analyst for nine years. He began his career with the federal government as a presidential management fellow and has worked at the Office of Management Budget and the Office of the U.S. Trade um, Representative. Gentlemen, it is great to have you here. Sean, welcome back to the show. Falan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, gentlemen, this could not be a more difficult situation. And we've we've been listening to commentary for a month now. um, And it's actually quite quite a strain because economists are going to have to learn something about health and and epidemiology issues. And um, epidemiologists are going to have to learn something about how economics can propagate fear and probably have an impact on those health issues. So I'm going to start with some basic questions, and we're going to do the best we can to get at the supply chain issues here, what, what's been going on in supply chain. Let, let, me, let me ask an historic. Let's back up a little bit here, and I, I will tell our audience what they know, that U.S. manufacturers have confronted a number of health and natural disaster crises in the past two decades. What lessons have they taken from the past 20 years that are informing their current decisions? We'll start with you, Sean. Sure. So I think it's important to recognize that the the supply chain for electronics manufacturing is actually quite robust. And there are dynamics that are playing out every day. So when you talk with manufacturers, they'll reference the uh, – the earthquake and tsunami that that hit Japan. They'll reference the um, uh, volcano that erupted in Iceland that disrupted travel to in and around Europe and to Europe, and uh, and obviously there have been other uh, disruptions. So the the supply chain is very used to handling and dealing with disruptions. Uh, it's part of their their daily tasks, if you will, around managing the supply chain. Obviously, this is a a much larger disruption. It's a much more systematic disruption, and so that makes it somewhat unique in nature because of its its systematic uh, impact. But manufacturers are always uh, addressing these challenges, and so uh, when they have these disruptions, the first thing they're looking to do is drive information flow. They'll start to talk to their suppliers. They'll start to talk to distributors. They'll look for more frequent contact and more frequent updates from those. So everyone in the supply chain ends up playing a very valuable role during these type of of episodes. 
especially companies like distributors that have information and can share information up and down the supply chain that becomes very important during these during these periods. Falan, that uh, I'm going to pick up on that is uh, supply chain information and really supply chain visibility part of the lessons of the past for today's challenge um, in the semiconductor world. Uh, absolutely, um, I think you know the semiconductor industry has been uh, taking advantage of global supply chains uh, for decades. You know, uh, since even the 1960s. Um, the way that semiconductors are made actually lends itself to having very unique stages of production. There's the design, there's the front-end fabrication, the back-end assembly, test, and packaging. And oftentimes, ever since, um, you know, Fairchild opened up a, uh, a, a back-end assembly, test, and packaging facility in, I believe it was Hong Kong in, in the 60s, uh, the industry has been used to uh, operating uh, global supply chains, has been very uh, comfortable in it. Um, in, in fact, today, you could have, uh, you know, the industry has become so disaggregated that even some parts of the supply chain are, 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 are done by companies that just focus on, say, the design or the back-end assembly test and packaging. So, yeah, there's a ton of communication uh, that goes on in terms of trying to be sure that these supply chains aren't disrupted. I would think, um, I think Sean mentioned um, one event that I think r comes to mind when I think of um, disruptive events, and in particular in the semiconductor industry, uh, was the earthquake and tsunami in uh, 2011 in, uh, in Japan. You know, there's a ton of, um, <clears throat> certainly then and maybe a little less now, um, but, you know, Japan is, is always has been a major uh, um, uh, location for semiconductor front-end fab capacity. And when that earthquake hit, uh, you know, that basically, you know, shook these, these, these major fabrication facilities so that they were shook offline and couldn't do the, the pre precise types of um, work that these machines do. Uh, and so for, you know, a couple, you know, for several weeks, these, these fabs were just basically off, you know, not, not being able to work. And so, you know, the industry had to, you know, adjust their supply chains to be sure that whatever was being made in particular fabs in uh, Japan was redistributed. Uh, so the industry has had a lot of experience handling this. I will agree with what uh, Sean said. This does feel a little different um, um, in a number of respects. Um, in comparison, for example, with that particular event, you know, that was one big event that happened, and boom, you know, um, there was a new day and a new way of evaluating what has happened with certain, you know, fabs that were offline. This seems to be sort of a slow-moving, you know, ever-evolving day-to-day sort of event. Um, and so I think one of the main issues – um, certainly for the semiconductor industry, but also perhaps, uh, you know, sort of the broader electronic supply chain is just the uncertainty. Uh, I think you had mentioned that word or, uh, or uh, Cliff or maybe uh, fear, but, you know, certainly uh, the acronym FUD comes to mind when I think about what's going on with the uh, coronavirus. Uh, you know, fear, uncertainty, doubt, um, that is really uh, sort of hampering um, it, I would say in particular with the semiconductor industry, our customers, and that sort of um, gets to uh, sort of the demand side, which is also an issue um, looking long term. Well, let me pick up on that with you first. Um, let, let's, let's think even broad, a bit broadly here. Supply chains, is, is, and anybody in and around the manufacturing world understands, have undergone both evolutionary and as of late, revolutionary changes. We talk about digitization every day as if it's a, you know, it, it, as if it is a already a major part of our, our work lives. Let me ask you: Are the new fundamentals of the supply chain, the evolving fundamentals of the supply chain, allowing for 
you know, a better and easier management of this crisis than if we had the if we had today the supply chains of 15 years ago. Uh, well, yeah, if you compare them to the supply chains of 15 years ago, I think without a doubt that's the case. Uh, we know in the semiconductor industry, certainly, you know, there are more options uh, than there were, you know, um, 15, 20 years ago. There are a lot less, um, uh, you know, vertically integrated firms, um, ones that, you know, again, specialize uh, and also, you know, specialize and have various locations um, where they do, uh, you know, part of the um, part of the manufacturing. So, you know, you can you you have options if if if, if, if you know if a facility in in China is having you know problems due to you know this health crisis, you can say okay, well let's look at um, you know shifting that um, shifting that um, uh, manufacturing or that stage of the production to our facility in uh, you know Vietnam or uh, or Malaysia or you know maybe let's look to outsource this uh, to you know a firm that just you know, specializes in, for example, back-end assembly test and packaging. There are a lot of firms that just do that, and they're, you know, they're global. So, you know, th there are options now um, that didn't exist, um, you know, certainly, you know, 15, 20, definitely 30 years ago when there were a lot more vertically integrated firms that maybe didn't have options, one, outside of their own firm, um, but even two, within their firm, maybe only a few options of, of, of locations where they, um, where they did um, manufacturing. Sean, I'm going to pick up with you. Is the new physics and the new economics of the supply chain uh, making it as difficult as it is at least more possible to manage a, uh, a very difficult, very uncertain crisis like we're facing right now? Well, as Fulon mentioned, it, it depends, right? It depends on what you're doing and and where you're doing it and what part of the supply chain you, you occupy. So, for example, if you are doing all of your production in China, uh, this has impacted you primarily from a, a workforce uh, situation where you haven't had workers coming to work, and so your pr production levels have been down significantly. If you're producing somewhere else in the world, unlike a, a natural disaster that's really um, impacted the, the ability to supply the manufacturers I've talked to, for example, in North America, haven't felt this yet, at least. Now, will they fill it with some delay? Possibly. But most of the manufacturers that I've spoken with in the U.S. have been able to acquire the, the components and the inputs that they need to in order to produce what, uh, what they produce. Uh, obviously, it's a different piece of the supply chain. It's a different part of the supply chain because they're, they're doing something different and they're doing a different, uh, a different service. So it, it depends – to some extent, on what you're doing, where you're doing it. And then I think there is this ability to move it to, uh, to firms that are doing it elsewhere. So, for example, another area that's been impacted is the introduction of new products. The, the way this might historically work in electronics manufacturing is a company in the U.S. has a product that they plan to introduce. They'll create a prototype, and then they'll get on a plane, and they'll fly to China, and they'll work with the factory there to create the molds to make sure everything is is working the way they want it to work, and then they'll ramp up full production. Well, now those individuals aren't getting on a plane. They're not going to China, and so they're now going to other firms in, in other parts of the world, primarily if they're in North America, then they're probably working with a company in North America. So to, to Fulon's point, they're able to shift some of that, a piece of that, in order to keep their production high. 
Well, Sean, your group has just published a survey report, which is very interesting and documents your members' experiences and challenges with the um, the coronavirus disruption. Uh, can you summarize the report for us? Sure. So we went out to, to manufacturers, uh, primarily nor- here in North America, but really with global pieces and, and components within their supply chain. And what we found is that on average, those who were being quoted a delay were being quoted a delay of about three weeks. And when we asked if they thought that was a, a realistic estimate, most felt that, uh, that well, on average, it would be closer to five weeks. And so the, to, to, to think about the way uh, manufacturers order components, they may go and order a, a product and they'll be quoted something like 25 weeks or 30 weeks. And so when we're looking at an additional delay, it isn't a delay over the, the next four weeks, but it's typically tacked on to the end of whatever that uh, they were, were originally being quoted. And there's times just through the, the well-functioning supply chains and, and just general business demand that, that fluctuates, you might have a manufacturer go out to their supplier, get a quote for say 22 weeks, they go back to place the order a, a day later, a couple of days later, and they might get something like 30 weeks, just depending upon what what that supplier is seeing from their suppliers and further up the supply chain. And so those time horizons and those lead times are constantly fluctuating as manufacturers place orders. Uh, that's where we see it materializing first and foremost. Uh, definitely the the vast majority of those that we surveyed, and again, these are electronics manufacturers and suppliers, they're concerned about the impact that the coronavirus is is going to have. Uh, We have another study that we will be publishing next week that looks at the impact that that companies anticipate. And as you would expect, companies see this impacting their, their bottom line. They see sales declining, both from the supply constraints that they're feeling, but also as demand has weakened because of this, um, this, this systematic impact, you're going to see that show up in terms of, of sales and revenue growth. Falad, I'm going to ask you to pick up on this uh, based on mm-hmm. Sean's uh, summary of, of the report. How are your members' experiences and challenges similar and different to what Sean just summarized? Yeah, um, so I think it would be it's helpful to I guess um, sort of put in context where the semiconductor industry and uh, semiconductors, you know, sort of work within the broader manu- uh, manufacturing electronics manufacturing uh, sort of ecosystem. You know, semiconductors are a part; they're an intermediate product. So we are actually ones that are um, it's I think more being hit um, and seeing effects in the short term over the past few weeks on the demand side, which Sean had alluded to. You know, companies, electronic firms pushing out. Out, um, you know, purchases, delaying uh, purchases. Those purchases are would be of in and what we've seen uh, semiconductors. So you know, an electronic, a downstream electronics firm, you know, a computer maker or a cell phone maker, you know, needs you know semiconductor 
parts, but they're located in China, and you know their uh, their uh, normal production level has been you know decreased because of uh, the you know the outbreak of coronavirus um, hitting hard in China, certainly in the beginning of February. Well, that has rippled through and affected their 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 demand for our parts, right? And so um, you know we've seen this sort of play out, um, and and nowadays you know semiconductors are you know not just in you know, PCs and cell phones the way they, you know, sort of typically were back in the 80s and 90s and certainly early 2000s. Semiconductors are in a lot of industrial products now. Certainly consumer goods um, have a lot of uh, components in it. So, you know, when we saw earlier in February, uh, you know, drastic decreases certainly in China, and of course China is the largest um, single country market for semiconductors, um, they are on the whole uh, supplied through imports, so you know, sort of the decrease in production levels uh, in China uh, over the past month or so uh, has been less of an impact on our ability to produce um, in China, uh, but more of an ability. It has affected more the demand for our products by um, customers, you know, other businesses, downstream businesses uh, who operate in China. So yeah, I think there's definitely. I would certainly echo um, that uh, you know sort of uh, view um, that there has been uh, you know disruptions in, uh, in in the electronics side of things, especially in China. But from the point of view of the semiconductor industry, has been more uh, as a demand driver or a weakening of the demand uh, in the short term. We don't know. We think um, you know certainly this if this is a temporary hold, you know uh, sort of decrease in demand through you know uh, operations, normal production levels decreasing in China, um, um, then we may see a sort of a snapback uh, or a, sort of a, a pent-up demand that has been, you know, once, uh, once normal production levels have been um, um, uh, reached, uh, then maybe that demand will sort of come back uh, and, and, and make up for uh, the artificial decrease in demand. Um, but again, I think only time will tell. I think there's still a lot uh, to get to what I mentioned very early. You know, this seems to be sort of a slow, uh, progressing, and evolving issue. So certainly, our our, our members, uh, semiconductor companies, are you know paying very close attention to this because on the demand side of things, it can be it could be um, it could be, it could be disruptive. Well, in light of that, go ahead, John. Cliff, let me just let me just add to that. So there's two things that happen to help understand that that. Uh, decline in demand. When you have a contract manufacturer and you've got a company that's gone out to a contract manufacturer and, and asked them to build a product for them, typically that contract manufacturer is carrying the cost of inventory. And so because they carry that cost, they're really trying to line up their lead times across products. They want all the input and all, all of the components to come in at the same time so that they can then turn around and start producing products immediately. If they have inventory that's just sitting there because they're waiting for a specific part or a particular part, then they're carrying the cost of that inventory and they're not able to produce. So some of that slowdown in demand might be driven by the fact that you have lead times that have lengthened in some areas, and so they, they cut back on orders in order to align their inventory so that it, it arrives. And, and obviously this is an impossible task because it's never going to be precise, but they want to carry that inventory as little as possible. Also, if you have factories, especially in Asia, that are have a lower staffing than they traditionally have when they're running at full capacity, then they're only able to produce a certain amount, and so they would cut back on, on demand too. So 
I think there's a there's a demand component happening within the supply chain for, for a number of reasons around the financials of these organizations. And then also further downstream, once we get to the enterprise buyer or the, you know, the businesses, the consumer, there's probably a slowdown there as well. Obviously, you're starting to see it in, in places in the U.S. that have been impacted by this most, most severely. The stores are closing, and so those are, are sales that aren't taking place. We saw it in China early on where uh, retailers were closing their stores and, and not selling product. And so you have a demand downstream that's happening, but I think you also have demand dynamics within the supply chain that are driving some of the things that, that Fulon mentioned. Well, Sean, uh, I'm I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners are going to the, the the you know sixty four thousand dollar question is whether or not the worst of the supply disruptions are over. But I'm guessing you're thinking that that entirely depends on the course of the of the virus. I mean, if 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 it if it starts to weaken and dissipate as we get into the spring months, then Probably the worst of disruptions are over, but if not, we we may see worse disruptions. Is that what you, Sean? Do you believe that's the case? I think you could definitely see worse disruptions in different parts of the, the globe and different parts of the supply chain as the virus spreads and and we hit um, what I'll call peak virus in different geographic markets. You you do see from uh, suppliers and manufacturers in China that they anticipate resuming full production this month. So they're slowly getting workers back and they're slowly starting to resume full production. Um, whether that the, the delays that we saw primarily initially in Asia for the first, call it six weeks, whether that works its way through the supply chain and delays other pieces of the supply chain, I think, remains to remains to be seen. So, a little bit to your point, Cliff, it, we could see things worsen in certain geographic markets. But everything that we're hearing from manufacturers is that companies in Asia are starting to um, resume or, or work towards resuming full production. And then, I think, to Fulon's point, this becomes a demand story now. Have there been material deteriorations in demand for products from businesses and from consumers that will then hurt the demand further upstream. Falan, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question. Barring any extreme turn in the uh, the progress of the pathogen, uh, do you think uh, barring that, do you think that the, the worst of the supply disruptions are over for semiconductors? Well, yeah, I think um, that's a big if. I think um, certainly, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, barring any, um, uh, you know, continued, uh, you know, sort of growth of the, of the outbreak, um, you know, I, I sort of tend to think of this in sort of, you know, sort of the short, you know, and then longer term, and then, you know, sort of end of, you know, sort of all year, what if, what if this sort of continues throughout, you know, the whole year through Q4. In the short term, if this is contained, um, you know, within, you know, the first quarter, maybe the beginning of second quarter, you know, March, April, then I think what I had alluded to before, you may see, um, you know, a snapback in sort of that um, that demand that was suppressed uh, through um, and 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 consumers and and uh, consumers who are businesses, right? Um, I think the issue, though, um, is if this becomes a a wider epidemic um, and that 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 hurts overall 
uh, uh, demand. What I mean by that, I mean demand from you and I, you know, consumers who are then saying, oh, I don't want to, you know, purchase this product or, you know, I don't have enough money to um, uh, because I got laid off or I don't want to, um, or, or businesses say, okay, I don't want to, we don't want to replace our PCs, you know, that, that we normally do. We're going to push that out. Um, once that happens, then that becomes more of a, an issue uh, in terms of uh, overall GDP growth. And I think that is, I think, uh, the biggest biggest worry. I would think, you know, semiconductor sales is pretty correlated now. Uh, sales growth is pretty correlated now to GDP growth. So, you know, we have a pretty good picture. You know, when you have um, a decline in GDP, um, then that really affects uh, pr- Pretty, pretty directly uh, sales of semiconductors since semiconductors are in a lot of different and products now. So, you know, I know the OECD had recently warned that this outbreak could cut uh, global economic growth uh, outlook in, in, in about uh, in a half. And so that is worrisome. You know, when you look long term and you say, okay, if the GDP is not growing, then that is really uh, going to um, really act as a real um, headwind to uh, demand overall for semiconductors, and that's sort of the fear uh, of, of how this, if this plays out longer term, um, how that could really sort of wreak havoc on semiconductor demand. And I think also, too, you know, semiconductors has a normal sort of seasonal demand pattern. Um, certainly uh, in the first quarter, demand is pretty low uh, vis-a-vis the other quarters. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, um, a little demand uptick, you know, with, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, Chinese New Year, um, you know, sort of sales there. Um, but really, um, the biggest um, quarter where we see sales is um, Q3, right before um, the, the, the holiday um, season, right? In which case, you know, a lot of, a lot of the uh, electronic uh, product manufacturers are buying semiconductors in Q3 in anticipation for increased sales during the holiday season in Q4. Well, if this if this if this continues in ter- as a um, uh, as a as a uh, if the coronavirus continues uh, and suppresses demand, you know, through Q3 and Q4, then then I, then I, I would be um, uh, then I think uh, our members would be very concerned about um, how that will affect overall semiconductor demand sales. Uh, gentlemen, there has been some concern, some commentators have expressed concern about um, price spikes at, at various levels of production, at the particularly intermediate and final product price um, areas. Uh, Sean, starting with you, have you seen any price spikes in, you know, in your members' supply chains? And if you have, do you think they're, t- they're temporary and will just recede after the, the crisis is over? We have not been hearing about price spikes. Clearly what happens in, when a situation like this occurs is companies go out and try to find uh, components, inventory that they might need, inputs for the things that they're producing. And so there, there is this rush to go out and, and place orders or to acquire products if, if that's possible. Uh, but we have not heard uh, about any uh, price spikes in the supply chain and at least within the electronics manufacturers in North America, we're not hearing about a lot of shortages of of inventory of supplies. And so, uh, you know, I think that's where you would start to see price spikes materialize is if you had companies that were were having a hard time getting the parts that they needed in order to produce the products that they that they make. I think the other part that we've already discussed is you've got what appears to be some slowdown in demand globally, and so that 
probably helps um, combat price spikes as well. Falon, price spikes in semiconductors, have you seen any of this? Well, I think just it, it, just to piggyback on what um, Sean had just um, mentioned, um, I think that the actual short-term weakness in um, demand that we've seen due to uh, a lot of our uh, a lot of the production disruptions in China um, for our by our customers has actually um, led to um, price weakening, um, and I think just anecdotally, um, uh, what I've heard is. This is allowed for you know some companies, uh, some customers who may be thinking long term. Hey, why don't I try to snap up a bunch of you know cheap semiconductors now because you know no one's you know no one's buying them at the rate that they normally would because of uh, because of this uh, because of this epidemic. So I think um, I think it, it, I think overall uh, certainly the uh, effect of the of the coronavirus is um, sort of playing havoc, if you will, with. With uh, you know sort of supply demand balances um, and, and 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 pricing, I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, just looking from the point of view of our industry, you know, we we do um, we do have uh, what's called the World Semiconductor Trade Statistics data, which actually shows sales data on a monthly basis. And uh, once um, when we get the the February numbers, that'll be really really um, helpful to look at that um, because I think that's when we will we'll see if there's been any decrease in sales um, for semiconductors in the month of February um, vis-a-vis uh, a normal February. So you know we track sales of semiconductors on a monthly basis and we can compare them to you know the past 10 Februarys and what seasonally an average February looks like uh, for sales in semiconductors um, and if it's you know. That'll, that'll, that'll really, I think, give us a good picture of what's going on um, if sales were down, if, if prices were then weak. Um, maybe that would have been um, an option, you know, provide an option for folks to to um, look to take advantage of, you know, buying cheap semiconductors at that point. But, um, yeah, it's very – I would say the situation is very fluid, and, um, you know, having at least monthly data is helpful. Um, but, you know, even on a weekly basis, things, things, things seem to be uh, so changing. When, when you look at small electronics manufacturers in the U.S., for example, electronics are custom built. They're they're built to order, and so there isn't the it's harder to stockpile components unless you're producing a lot of the same units. So if you're producing laptops or smartphones where you're putting the same chipset into that device and you're trying to produce millions of them, then there's the ability maybe to, to pre-purchase some of that. But in a lot of instances, especially in North America where we're doing customized electronics, we're doing um, complex electronics but small runs perhaps, most of that is, is custom built and built to order. And so there isn't really the ability to, to stockpile um, in, a, in a traditional sense. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think, you know, certainly the, the you know, various um, different uh, global markets uh, have different characteristics in terms of what the, the type of, you know, uh, components uh, are, are demanded. Um, I would say on average, um, Sean is absolutely right, you know, in the United States you have more higher end type of products, maybe more custom products um, that demand, you know, um, more higher end semiconductors that uh, have shorter runs. 
Um, I think in China, um, the situation may be more the opposite, where you have, um, you know, you, you have a lot of, you know, consumer products or, or products that maybe have longer um, lifespans, where folks um, uh, and customers could say, okay, well, you know, we know we're going to need this type of semiconductor um, for, you know, the next several, you know, months of whatever we're producing. Let's go ahead and see if we can, um, you know. Um, you know, sort of uh, in, in, increase our inventories on that, knowing that we're, gonna, we're definitely going to use it. So, All right. Obviously, a great concern about jobs, as there always is in, with any crisis that is either endemic uh, to the economic sphere or, or touches the economic sphere. But I think I'm going to have to ask the question a little more bro- broadly uh, this time, given the nature of the crisis. So, uh, Falan, I'm going to start with you. Have you seen? Have you seen or are you concerned about either layoffs in your industry sector or labor shortages in your industry sector either have either one is either one concerning you at the moment uh not at the moment um i think um any long term um decrease in um semiconductor sales may lead to announcements of you know decreasing uh, employment, but I think that's way further down the line. You know, I think when I think of the um, past history of the semiconductor industry, the two um, two times when we really saw a major decrease in 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 manufacturing, which then led to a decrease in you know employment globally, uh, was one the dot com bubble, um, um, which around 2000 2001, uh, where that was a major decrease in demand, right? Demand um, <clears throat> weakness. Um, that led to sort of uh, precipitation of you know you know contraction of supply and then eventually uh, sort of decreasing um, you know sort of work um, uh, need for for employees and then of course more recently uh, the global economic recession 2008 2009 same thing demand driven um, a drastic decrease in demand um, leading to uh, um, to necessary decrease in um, supply and ability to produce and ultimately jobs, but in the in the short term, not really. I don't think it's um uh it's I think it's much too early to to start to think, to, to consider um what's that that possibility. Sean, layoffs or either layoffs or labor shortages in your industry sector. Well, obviously we saw labor dynamics disrupted significantly in China, and and this goes to. Uh, you know, the different natures of manufacturing throughout the globe, to Poulon's point, in China you tend to have very large manufacturers that are producing often a, a high-volume, low-mix product. And so in, in that instance, you know, that's where you're stockpiling components and other things like that. If the pricing makes sense for you to carry that inventory. There we, we saw – uh, labor dynamics disrupted significantly as workers were not going back to work, not returning from uh, Lunar New Year break. That looks like in the coming month in March that will start to um, to heal itself and that will start to be closer to full production and the manufacturing there. If you look at North America, we have not heard from companies that have uh, that, that are cutting back significantly. You've got some companies that anticipate cutting back hours worked or, or labor this year, but uh, that hasn't yet materialized. What we find is that uh, first and foremost, companies were, were seeking additional information from their suppliers, and they were also looking at alternative sources. 
So that seems to be the primary way that, that U.S. manufacturers are addressing the issues is looking for alternative sources as opposed to cutting back production, cutting back on, on workers, or cutting back on, on hours worked. I would not want to have these two gentlemen on without taking the opportunity to hear about their policy thinking. So, Sean, I'm going to start with you. What policy actions would you recommend to governments, and I mean governments around the world, to stabilize the, the global manufacturing implications of, the, um, of this evolving virus crisis? What would you say to them? Well, I think it goes back to some of the points we've already made. Transparency becomes key. Stability becomes key. So any policy actions that help in those two areas become important. So can we improve uh, transparency and information dissemination? Can we improve stability and, and then allow manufacturers to do what they do best? They will manage the supply chain in ways that, that make fundamental sense, that make financial sense. And so it's best to allow them uh, to do that. I think one of the things we saw in, during the financial crisis was that banks that were able to, that were, you know, or excuse me, the businesses that were generally healthy and performing and producing, all of a sudden when banks didn't want to extend their, their loans, so if you think of a warehouse or you think of a, a, a manufacturing facility, you might have that on a five-year balloon, and so every five years you essentially have to refinance that. We saw that businesses that were financing their their uh, their structures and their buildings and making their payments just fine all of a sudden weren't able to renew those loans and and uh, so that became very problematic for for organizations. We're not seeing that yet. We're not seeing that now. But those type of financial stability measures I think become very key in a in a uh, global disruption like this. Falan, if global policymakers were consulting you, um, what would you recommend? Well, I think I would um, echo certainly what Sean had mentioned, you know, transparency, stability, anything that lowers uncertainty. You know, I think uncertainty is really the um, the big uh, fear um, or, or the fear of uncertainty is what is sort of um, holding back or at least uh, creating caution on, on the part of 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 of, of the market and, and and so I think and and, and and demand so I think anything that you know you know of course you know trying to you know work out the medical issues and solve the medical problem um, would would be you know another would be paramount but other than that I think uh, you know again semiconductor industry just like most of, of of other parts of the electronic supply chain you know they know how to handle um, uh, disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, the semiconductor industry is, you know, has been operating a global supply chain for decades. Um, it's just, I think, keeping markets free and open, lowering dis- any potential disruption, maintaining stability, I think, um, is the best uh, that could be um, uh, offered at this time. Final question for our distinguished guest, and Philan, I'm going to start with you. This crisis will abate. They, like every crisis, it will come and it will go. But I, I, I suspect that there's going to be some long-term implications. So 
Flan, do you believe that there will be long-term impacts of the crisis in your industry sector? And what I'm specifically asking, is, is there going to be change in attitudes toward either doing business in China or sourcing from China? Um, that's, you know, I think time will tell with that. I think it's very um, – I do agree this is a sort of a different type of um, beast than we've seen in terms of other events. Uh, I think the good news is that, you know, we're always looking for long-term growth drivers in the semiconductor industry. Uh, certainly those are, I believe, in place. You know, we have uh, 5G, uh, Internet of Things, um, uh, artificial intelligence, those you know, sort of undergirding demand drivers, I don't think are going to go away. I think, uh, I think, though, with that in place, we have strong uh, uh, sort of look into uh, the demand for the future. I think, um, you know, the, the the question about doing operate, you know, continuing operations in China. I think that's mainly for our customers. Uh, you know, again, our the semiconductor industry, uh, China is the largest single country market for semiconductors. Um, that's of course because that's where our customers are. And um, I think we could we be able to adjust. Um, but I think a lot of, a lot will depend uh, on how we adjust on what our our, our customers eventually uh, decide to do. Sean, you know, long-term implications of this in electronics? Well, so I think it's interesting given when this event happened and, and the outbreak of this virus because the supply chain was already moving. It was clear from the, the tariffs that were put in place over the last 18 months that the supply chain was starting to make adjustments to those, uh, to those um, dynamics. And so you were seeing – Places like Mexico benefit quite significantly as manufacturing was moving there. Throughout Asia, Vietnam, Indonesia was benefiting. We saw some manufacturing uh, moving into India, most of that to service the domestic market that's growing there. But um, we, we saw manufacturers looking to move um, their manufacturing capacity to other places in the world as the, the – uh, Trade tensions continued to accelerate and to to, um, to change the profitability of these organizations. And so some of that movement was already in place, and I think that will continue. I think those, those are long-term in nature. I think even with trade negotiations somewhat improving with China, or at least the appearance of trade negotiations improving with China – I think some of those movements were, were already in place and will continue to move. And so, as, as Fulon pointed out, other pieces of the supply chain will will also move. As contract manufacturers and assemblers move, then other suppliers into those markets will, will start to adjust as well. Fulon Yenig, Sean Dubravik, you came to us at a critical time, and you gave us your first-rate insights. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, to, to our listening audience, we're going to stay with us. It's, it's an all-consuming, very difficult, very uncertain crisis, and we will be bringing you subsequent episodes to keep you on top of what's going on, to keep you in, uh, on top of what the short-term and the long-term implications are for U.S. manufacturing. Until then... This is Cliff Waldman reminding you that manufacturing matters, and we'll see you next time.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.